Well, this Sunday, I'm wrapping up our series on generosity, really a mini-series that we have done uh, for, throughout our, all of our campuses. Um, and today, I'm going to talk about sowing and reaping and what that looks like and the laws, the dynamics of that, and what that means for us. And so, who's seen Rocky Three? Anyone see Rocky Three? This isn't to guilt anybody for seeing Rocky Three. Um, just like a general question. Rocky Three. Josh has seen it. Rocky, right, world champion boxer, you know, he became the champ by beating Apollo Creed, and he had started to enjoy a pretty lavish lifestyle, you know, he's successful, uh, he was the champion, and so, on the other side, though, there was this new star rising, Kluber Lang, uh, he was played by Mr. T, who knows Mr. T, I pity the fool, you know, that guy with all the chains, the wonderful afro, Mr. T, um, Kluber, he was hungry, he was mean, and you know, if you go to the movies, he was intense, intense training that we saw throughout the movie, he was like sweating and working real hard, and meanwhile, Rocky, he's enjoying the wine and cheese lifestyle that he has now earned because he's the champion. And so they meet up for the fight, right? And Kluber, he absolutely pulverizes Rocky. And you're like, Rocky always gets pulverized in every movie. And this is very true. But um, the reality is he got the real, for my story, or for this topic, we just really want to focus on how beat up he got in Rocky III. Um, Rocky's trainer, Mick, is, he's, he's killed in the midst of this movie. Hopefully I'm not ruining this for you. I'm sorry. And no one can figure out why this is happening. Uh, and it, we know as movie theater watchers, like, this is the buildup that we expect when we go to a movie. We want to be entertained. And Balboa, he sowed a life of laziness. And then he harvested that in the ring. And of course, the rest of the movie, Rocky's training harm. He's doing his one-arm push-ups, eating his raw egg, and he's winning again. But it really shows the important principle of you reap what you sow. And one that Paul talks about in Galatians 6. I remember growing up taking a test without studying. And uh, I got home, I was really upset with my mom. Well, I was really upset, and I was telling my mom, like, look, I failed this test, and I showed her, and she's like, what happened? I was like, oh, I don't know what happened. I really don't know. I said, I trusted in God that I would do a good job. I was exercising my faith in him, that he would help me, help me remember the things I'd learned in class and stuff. Mom, you're telling me to be faithful and, and to believe and stuff like that. And she asked me, like, Jeremy, did you study? And I was like, I said, no. Like, I trusted Jesus. Like, he would, I trusted he would take the wheel. I trusted he would guide my hand to the right box. C, yes, Lord. A, yes, Lord. B, yes, Lord. Um, I opened, and he would open my mind to remember the lectures that I really didn't pay attention to, but hopefully was back there in my subconscious that he would unlock for me. And then she began to talk about, you know what? You, what you put in is what you're going to get out, Jeremy. That what you reap is what you will sow. So if you study, you will for sure do better than you did when you did not study. And so today we're going to look at Galatians 6, 7 to 9. I'm going to share this dynamic of sowing and reaping and what that looks like in our lives. Here is the scripture. If you don't, wow, it's super big. That's exciting. Um, if I keep touching my ear, it is the earpiece, and it's not this nervous habit I picked up because of COVID or anything like that. Um, so Galatians 6, 7, 9 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their faith from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Now, at first, this almost sounds like Paul, he's like contradicting what he has taught us elsewhere in Galatians. You know, throughout Galatians, Paul, he's taught us that the gospel is that God gives us what we not deserve, but righteousness that Christ has earned for us and gave us as a gift. So this almost sounds here like it is introducing the principle, of, like a karma at the end. The good you will do will come back on you. So sow good karma so you can reap good karma later. Kim and I, we watched this movie the other night uh, for our date nights, and it was The Secret, Dare to Dream. And at one point, this guy was like, you know, if you think positively, then that will eventually happen. And I'm like, that is crazy. And so, but you know, that's not what's happening here. That's not the talk that's happening here. But that, it's the wrong way to read this. Paul is simply reminding us of something we all know to be true, a principle God has built into every fabric of the universe. What you sow is what you reap. Andy Stanley, he explains this. He says, we must realize that Paul doesn't say here, he doesn't say this, he doesn't say people reap what they sow unless they ask for forgiveness. See, forgiveness doesn't erase what we've sown. I run into this, he said, all the time as a pastor. Someone comes to me and says, Andy, I'm doing my best. And I have to say, I'm glad you're doing your best now, but for five years, you were doing your worst. That was sowing. You are reaping from those years. And doing your best now doesn't erase maybe all those things that had been sown. So if you choose to go home today and light someone's house on fire, you're going to get in trouble for that today. And you'll live with the consequences of that what you've sown, pyrotechnics, for the rest of your life. You know what? For Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so forth, you might feel really bad on Wednesday, and you ask for forgiveness, and you choose to do good, do good maybe build a house for that person or a home for that person, but you still relive in the reality of your decision. And might, slash probably, might end up in jail. See, there's this distinction between forgiveness of sins and the consequences of sins. You can get forgiveness of your sins, yes, but you can't unsin. Even God forgives us. This, those things that we do, they, we see the repercussions of that sometimes. So here are some of those laws slash dynamics of sowing and reaping. And the first one is this. What you sow, you will always reap. The harvest is limited to the planting. Tim Keller, he goes on to call this an absolute principle in Scripture. He says, it underlies the entire book of Proverbs. And there are 66 places in the Bible where the principle is stated, and they read like this. Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, the wicked person earns an empty wage. If you get rich, often justice or exploitation. You won't ultimately be satisfied, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a lasting reward. And Proverbs 22.8 says, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. And we see this even throughout, you know, outside of Proverbs. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. See, Galatians is about walking in the Spirit. It's laying out how we walk in the Spirit. We went through the year of Galatians right before COVID and into COVID a bit. And it was about how do we live life in the Spirit. And the other side, they tell you how not to live life in the Spirit, what that looks like, living life in the flesh. And so Paul shares there are two ways to sow. You can sow to the Spirit or you can sow to the flesh. And sowing to the Spirit means to be giving, to be generous giving your time, your treasure, and your talent. 
Sowing in the flesh means giving to the desires of your body, the things that you want. Now, right before Galatians 6, 7 to 9, there's verse 6. I know, my alphabetical, I mean, my alphabetical, oh my goodness. My number counting is spectacular. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says this. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And then it goes into 7 and talks about sowing and reaping. This feels like Paul might be saying, you must pay the apostles. But Paul's point in 6 lead into verse 7, 8, and 9. And Paul's point is that God's people should not share in all good things with him who teaches because it's good for the teacher. They should do it because it is good for the one it is taught and shares. And the principle of reaping and sowing demonstrates that. So it's saying you give because it's good for you. You give of your talents, you give of your treasures, you give of your time because it's good for you. If that was Paul's point, he would have just said verse 6, and that would have been the end of the thought. He would have just been like, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, and that's it. He wouldn't have talked about sowing and reaping. He would have just said that. But he's talked about sowing and reaping to share how good it is for the person who hears, who is being taught. And Paul, he hops right into sowing and reaping to say that generosity is good for those who hears this. And so this, one of the main points is you can only harvest what you plant. This is not rocket science. For those who have planted anything, what you plant into the ground, you will hopefully harvest it. If you water it, if you're the crows, we aren't harvesting anything as we plant it because we forget the whole water thing. Um, so don't come to us for tomatoes. One of the clearest pictures of multiplication occurs in John 9. When Jesus is standing for a crowd of 15,000 people who are hungry. And so Philip says this in this story. He says that 2,000 denarii, which is actually six month wage, wouldn't be enough to feed this crowd. He's like, even if we had 2,000 denarii, I think that would maybe cover the cost to feed this crowd. That would be six months wages. And on top of that, Philip's like, even if we had six months wages lying around, it's too much bread to buy. There's actually not enough bread in this town, in this village, for them to even be fed. Even if we had 2,000, we went and bought all the bread, it still wouldn't be enough. And so what happens is they take this boy's lunch, his five loaves and his two fish, his Hebrew Happy Meal, and they bless it, and they distribute it to the disciples. And as they gave it away, John explained this. It multiplied to the point that it was enough to feed every person in the crowd until they were full and had enough left over to fill 12 baskets to overflowing. And so two things we can take away from this is that it can only be multiplied if it's blessed. And that blessing occurs only when you place it in the hands of Jesus. And so when we give of our time, our treasure, our talent, we see that it's blessed because we've laid it at his feet and he does a great work through us. And we constantly will see this throughout the Gospels, that Jesus comes and he multiplies. The bread, the fish, the talents, the disciples. Because what he's trying to show us is this, is generosity is an invitation for God to infuse blessing. When we are generous, God does something miraculous with our generosity. The second thing we can take away from this story is it can only be multiplied if you give it away. The seed, it can't be multiplied if you don't plant it. 
You plant that one seed, you're gonna get a tomato plant, hopefully eight, nine, 10 tomatoes. But if you keep it in your pocket, nothing can happen with it. And this story was very specific in describing what Jesus was given. It says five barley loaves, two small, two small fish. So we don't want to forget about the little details. Barley loaves. Well, what's barley? Barley was always regarded as simple food. More often fit for animals than people. This means it is likely that the young boy, he came from a poor family. In the Talmud, there is a passage where one man said, there is a fine crop of barley. And another man answered, tell it to the horses and the donkeys. That's how important they viewed barley. It wasn't as good as wheat. And so we had five barley loaves, really basic loaves of bread. I don't know, it'd be like Wonder Bread today. I'm not sure. Um, we wonder what's in the Wonder Bread, right? That's the whole story. Then it was small fish. John actually explains it in the Greek as small fish as osperia, indicating that they were too small, perhaps salted fish, to be eaten as a relish along with the cakes of barley. Sounds spectacular. That's what we're having at the crows for supper tonight, so you're all welcome. We might think that we have to give is too small. Maybe our gifts, our talents, maybe even as we give our tithe and our offering. But it isn't our job to worry about that. We are simply to give it to Jesus, and he does the rest. He took these five simple loaves of barley, these two small fish, and he multiplied it greatly to feed 15,000 people, 5,000 people. We want to wait to sow. Lord, I will help out with my talents when this happens. Lord, I will give money when I see this happen or at this moment. Lord, my talents, maybe they're not that much to give to help out. I don't feel like I'm very gifted or talented. Lord, my time is my time, and I just can't give that. I really want to do this. And we see this in the story. But when we sow to the Lord, he will reap a harvest. He will reap a harvest. Throughout Scripture, we see many times where it says, do not test the Lord. We see many times he says, don't test me in this. Moses told the Israelites not to test God with his faithfulness towards them. But there is actually one space that the Lord says, go ahead and put me to the test in this spot. Go ahead. In Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord is saying, go ahead, try me in this area. And why does he do that? Not because he just wants to you know, make you rich. That's not what this is about. He is about making you more like him. He's about drawing you closer to him so that you are generous like him, so that you freely give of your life to help others. He wants you to know that there is a blessing when you are generous. He's invited you to be more like him. And he wants you to know that he's in control. Because we like to be in control. And so when we're generous, when we give of our time, when we give of our treasures, when we give of our talents, we recognize that he's king of kings and lord of lords. We recognize that he actually reaps in the harvest. And that's actually not us. Which leads into the next point. 
We reap more than we sow. When we sow, we reap more harvest for our master. Psalm 126, 5 to 6 says this. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Proverbs 11:24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds undolly, but comes to poverty. In the harvest, what comes back to you is always greater than what you sowed. Plant a wheat seed and it turns into a wheat stalk, right? And it produces many more hundreds of wheat seeds. Plant an acorn tree and you'll get hopefully many more acorns on that tree. Because it's this law of greater. When we sow, there is a harvest on the other side. What starts small multiplies into something bigger than we began with. See, the miracle of bread and fish wasn't just a story of Jesus being the bread of life. It wasn't just a story about that Jesus would be enough for all their needs. The miracle of multiplying the bread and fish was also a picture of what Jesus was about to do with the disciples. Yes, he is the bread of life. Yes, he is everything that we need. Yes, he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. But it was also showing that he is going to multiply lives through these disciples. He was going to take the life of the disciples who represent those fish and bread, and he was going to do marvelous, miraculous work that we feel right now because we are a product of that multiplying bread and fish seen in this story. There would be a harvest that was larger than the 12 lives. The seeds Jesus planted in those 12 were going to harvest many, many more individuals. One of the last things we see is we reap after we sow. We only harvest if we persevere. The hardest part of harvesting is that it takes time to see your efforts pay off. It takes time to see, you know, it, things grow. I'm not good at this. I need, like, immediate results. Uh, I need it in everything that I do. If I diet, you know what? I want to see results immediately. I want to lose a pound if I miss a meal. Like, and I want to see that the next day as I step on the scale. When I skip dessert, you know, I want to be able to look in the mirror and automatically see, you know what? My neck looks a little bit smaller. And so, like, I want to see these things. And when I'm working out, when I've done 30 push-ups, I want to look and be like, wow, look, that's a new muscle that I didn't have there before. But it takes time to reap the harvest. And this is even more true when you think about this agricultural metaphor. You sow in one season, you don't even receive that maybe till the next season or the end of the season. Midwest farmers in the 1930s faced an excruciating choice. Many had moved out there in the 1920s because the ground was fertile and the harvests were plenty. But in 1931, the rain stopped and the Midwest endured one of the worst droughts recorded in history. By 1940, many were on the verge of bankruptcy. It looked like the drought was starting to end, but no one could be sure. And here was the dilemma that they faced with planting. Planting seeds meant putting a month's salary into the ground. And if it didn't rain, that was lost. And many of those who remained had just enough grain to feed themselves and their families for another year, but probably not much longer than that. It was looking grim. So the face of choice of whether to hold onto these final precious seeds and use them for food or plant them in hope for a harvest. Those that planted in faith were rewarded because the rainfalls were abundant that year. 
This is why we so often give up on doing the right thing, because it takes time to harvest. Weeks, months, even years, it takes time to see the harvest. But it's the law of later, is why envy people who are doing it wrong and still seem to be enjoying much success. Because then we think, is there any use in doing it right? This person's not waiting in there. They're, they're just bountiful in everything that they have. Sowing is about the future, though. What we plan today will be sown for the future. Or reap for the future. That's why Paul says, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived about this, because the fact that the harvest comes later makes it an easy principle to forget. And the word for harvest, he used de- or for deceived, is called planeo, and it means led astray. And it is where we get our English word for planets, actually. And so the ancient Greeks used the stars for navigation, but some stars were unreliable guides because they seemed to wander in the sky. They seemed to deceive them. The Greeks called these wandering stars, and it's from here we got the word planet. He says, don't be deceived. Don't look up and be like, this is the way, and it's actually not the way. What you sow, there will be a harvest. You might not see it tomorrow. You might not see it in a week, but you will see it eventually. That's why we continue to sow. That's why we continue to invest. That's why we continue to invite people in. That's why we continue to give. That's why we continue to offer our talents and our skills for the things that we know might bring people into relationship with Jesus because our hope is that we will eventually see it. As a youth pastor, I have people calling me now that I thought 10, 15 years ago when I was youth pastoring that their lives, I'm not sure where it's going to lead them. And they would say something like, that day when we sat and had coffee and you told me this, it impacted me greatly. And I didn't realize it at that moment, they would say. But when I was having my toughest time and I remember that, that coffee time with you, it changed me and it drew me back. We don't always see it right then and there. But we continue to sow because we know there's going to be a harvest. It takes time. And that's why Paul says in verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. To get the good harvest, you have to persist to the end. We have to continue to the end. And think of Peter walking on water. He started well. He, got, he was doing really good to get all the way to where he wanted to be, but then he needed to have that faith within him to continue in on. Jesus came, right, and he helped him through. We have to continue to look to Jesus in those midst of those times where we feel like we're sinking like Peter did. So the question I want to leave you to ponder, to ask yourself as you go through this week, do you believe in giving to the church? Now this isn't like, oh, he's asking for money. No, this is, we're talking about time, we're talking about our talents, and we're talking about our treasure. Because the church is one of a kind. It's founded in God's heart right at the beginning. It's rooted in eternity. It's rooted in nations and all cultured. We see it throughout our world. And we see people who invest their time, their talent, and their treasure into it. See, Paul's approach is that we should, because we are called to provide for this church, for this community. Scripture tells us that we are actually entrusted with this body that we need to use our wisely, that we need to sow. 
I'm just going to invite the worship team to come back up as I close here. You guys can play softly as I just, as I reflect on this story. I'm going to close with the story of the widow and the mites. And you might be like, oh, he's ending with this story to tell us that, you know what, we need to give everything like the widow did. And actually, I'm not. Because just before the poor widow gives her two mites, Jesus is talking to the disciple and he says this. I want us to catch this. So just before Jesus sees the widow and he sees her give her those two mites, which is everything that she had, which was like two pennies, Jesus, right before that, is having a conversation. He's teaching, and he's telling his disciples this. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. So here, they they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. That ends at verse 40. And verse 41 then continues. Now Jesus, he sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You know, it's good to put ourselves in the story sometime, to visualize the story as we read it. Because in our Bible, this, these two, like 41 and 43, 42 and 43, are actually broken off with a different subtitle. And so sometimes we read it as that, separate. But let's think this story from that verse 38 to 40. To 43. Imagine Jesus teaching you, and he warns you of the synagogue and how it devours widows' houses. Warning the disciples. They devour the widows' houses. This is not the way that we are meant to be. This is not what I actually have come to speak and to teach. And then he sits down opposite where the offering takes place and actually sees this take place now. He sees the rich people give abundantly. Then he sees this widow give everything, her two mites. I don't believe it is so much a teaching about giving, but a reminder of how corrupt the system was. How it wasn't supposed to be like this. How Jesus was coming to change everything. How actually he said, I've come here to help the poor and the lost. That actually the the widow, she's given two mites, but actually the church should be giving her more than two mites. But in the midst of this, Jesus still teaches. He says, this is not how we're supposed to be, but he sees what the lady has done. He says, there's honor still in this. In the midst, Jesus sees this faithful deed and says, she has given more than everyone else who has given. See, we as a church are to be helping the widows in need, giving of our time, our talents, our treasure. What we see is that the widow just faithfully gives generously. And that's just simply what Jesus wants from us. Just wants us to faithfully give. Of our time, our treasure, our talents. To faithfully give our lives to him. 
because he's reminding us of this in 2 Corinthians 2, 9, 6 to 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I'm not going to push you. He hopefully just, as you draw close to him, recognizes that, man, he's given me so much. I need to go and be like him to help others, to give him my time, my treasure, and my talents. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and, and Josh is going to lead us in this last song together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather to hear your word. Lord, our series on generosity is about living a generous life, Lord, like you lived. Lord, you freely gave of your time, your treasure, your talent. Lord, you crafted this life, Lord, showing us the way it's meant to be lived. Lord, you challenge us to be generous because you know that that is the way that we can battle against the flesh when we are generous, when we give those selfish desires, they seem to fall away. And it causes us to be more like you, Jesus. Lord, you know what you're speaking to everyone. Lord, you know where you're directing them in this message, Father. You know where you're maybe tugging on their hearts, Lord. That's your job, Father. And I trust, Lord, that as we are open, Lord, that we are looking like, what else, where else can I be generous at? We might feel tired, and I'm there with you. I feel it. Lord, but as we draw close to you, Lord, as we spend time with you, we pray that you would refresh our souls. We come to living waters where it's green and lush. Lord, when you would lay us down and you would refresh our souls. And you would build us up again. Your spirit would pour into us so we can go and be your disciples throughout this world. In your name we pray. Amen.